Welcome to the NS North podcast. My name is Philip Cascrain, and I'm joined tonight by my co-hosts Dan Byers and Adrian Marshall. How are you, Dan? I'm really good. How are you, man? I'm great. And you, Adrienne? I'm good, thanks. For today's episode, we have speaker Michael Gorbach joining us. How are you, Michael? Pretty good. So, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, where you're from, what you do? Uh, let's see. Uh, so we can, I guess, start with professional stuff. Um, I am uh, currently a software architect at a uh, mobile development shop in Boston called uh, Raise Labs. Go Sox. Yep, go Sox indeed. Uh, I actually became a baseball fan two years ago, I guess. Uh, a little bit after I moved into the city. <laughs> I think it seems appropriate. It, it is. is. It, it is. Just don't, just don't wear a Bruins shirt when you come to Toronto. Yeah, no, don't do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, RaceApps is a mobile development shop. We do um, iPhone, iPad, a bunch of Android, uh, a little bit of web, um, usually for large to medium-sized kind of companies. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a pretty fun job. So you do uh, front-end, back-end, everything at Lab, or are you more of a front-end guy? We do, uh, the company does a little bit of web backend stuff. Uh, myself, uh, my background has been in uh, Cocoa uh, for, well, for, for a long time, ever since I had a background, really. Uh, I started off uh, working on the Mac, and now it's, it's uh, mostly been iOS stuff. A little bit of Xamarin, a little bit of Android, uh, most recently. What did you study when you were at school? I was a double major in physics and computer science, and a minor mm. in math. Oh, my goodness. Oh, which, which school? Uh, Swarthmore College in uh, Philadelphia. Oh, nice. Nice. Is that where you're from? Uh, no. So my, my story uh, place-wise is um, I moved, uh, my parents and I immigrated from Russia uh, in um, 19, what was it, 89 uh, or so. And I was about three years old. So I was actually born in Moscow. Uh, I oh, grew wow. up in Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. So you've traveled a lot then. Yep. Yep, I don't. Uh, I don't remember a whole lot, but I, I've been told. <laughs> well, yeah. definitely, 1989 was a banner year for Russia. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much, we left actually shortly before uh, the the fall of the Soviet Union. Wow. Your parents had good timing. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. So, with uh, before you went to Raise Labs, where what were you working on? Um. So my career jumped around a lot. Uh, I sort of. Um, Let's see, I had a stint at Apple, um, an internship, and then a, a bunch of full-time work there uh, for a few years, starting in about 2007. Uh, then I spent a little while at a, um, a company that does sort of a CMS-type thing for high-definition video for movie uh, creators, for movie for Hollywood studios, really, a company called Pix System. Uh, then I worked at Black Pixel for a long time, um, I think about two years. Uh, and then ended up in uh, Raise, at, here at uh, Raise Labs when I moved to Boston. Nice. And were you always a Mac user, uh, even like right back from school, or when when did you when did you get involved in the Mac? Oh, oh let's see. I think um, operating systems are a little bit of an obsession uh, with me. If you talk to uh, anyone who knew me back when I was like in high school and back when I was in college, I was a huge Windows nerd, uh, and then a huge Linux nerd and ran Gentoo and like tried every distribution and evangelized it and the whole thing. Uh, and then uh, eventually got a Hackintosh in uh, 2006 or so, I think. And then my first Mac was um, the first uh, Intel Mac Pro. 
in 2007 that I bought a few days after it was released. You you liked it that much, eh? <laughs> oh, it was it was really great. Uh, it, it was actually kind of weird community wise. Uh, I I often don't tell that to people because in certain parts anyway of, of this uh, Coco community, like that actually marks me as a newbie. And I remember an Apple being surrounded by people that like who when I told them that they were like, oh well, you weren't you must have not really been a real Mac person. Well, a, a newbie is just someone that's been doing it less time than you have so <laughs> that's pretty much how it is yeah community's changed a lot since then so in terms of uh developing for the mac um were you uh were were you mostly involved whenever the uh, the iphone os came out or were you doing actual mac development as well before that i uh, actually spent an apple i barely did any ios stuff at all i spent most of my time doing um for a while, I was a technical lead on Automator, actually, uh, oh. because I worked on the Apple Script and automation team um, and knew all the Apple Script guys who were a bunch of uh, really diehard, like old school Mac people. Um, and uh, I also did stints on mail, working on mail.app for the Mac and working on Xcode. Oh, wow. On the tools team. During the, uh, the Xcode rewrite uh, that happened for Xcode version 4. Yeah, between Xcode version 3 and 4, there was a large rewriting. That's right. That's right. And, and I was over there, and they, um, I was a pretty crappy engineer, frankly, uh, back then, and I was pretty new. And they assigned me to just write the um, coordinate editor. Just, just do it. <laughs> like, with effectively no supervision. And I was like, so what is an entity? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just kind of had to figure it out. <laughs> so they dumped they dumped the core data editor on you. Yes, that's awesome. What a what an excellent project. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was it was a good test. I, I worked very hard for a very long time. I did not sleep for a very long time. Awesome. Uh, but it was a uh, it was uh, kind of a defining career moment looking back on it because it was terrifying, and I somehow like lived through it. So ha has it changed quite a bit since uh, like? since what you worked on and what you see today? Um, not really, actually. It pretty much looks the same. I mean, some, some features have been added. Cordata's been updated. The, uh, the uh, back-end format changed. I remember at some point they changed the way Cordata models got stored. Um, but not all that much had actually, has actually changed um, externally. It's probably a lot less buggy, of course, uh, now that I'm not working on it anymore. But uh, that's about it. Sweet. And so at Raise Labs, you're the software architect there. Yep. Um, so I guess you handle quite a bit of uh, interaction with the distributed team, I suspect, eh? Or do they have quite a few developers all kind of localized? Uh, we are almost entirely on site um, at, at Raise Labs. We have two offices, though, one in San Francisco, or Oakland, actually, and one uh, in Boston. So we're, we're bi-coastal, the... Um, but the San Francisco office is uh, sort of manned by this uh, very good friend of mine now. We used to be on a project together uh, and have, have kind of been friends ever since then, named Jason Petrelli. He's a really great um, vice president. He's kind of the West Coast vice president. Uh, and then the East Coast office was the original office of the company. And um, yeah, I think we, other than that bi-coastal cooperation, we mostly work on site, uh, which is very different than Blackpixel where I used to work, where we did... Uh, it was all, we were all remote. Like we built, when we worked on Kaleidoscope, uh, I barely ever met the entire team. I think Black Pixel has a once a year Christmas party where everybody flies in. 
Yes, I remember that very well, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to forget. So, Michael, I have a question for you. I was yep. checking out the type of projects that Raise Labs does, and it looks like I see, like I see a lot of e-commerce, like Ruella, yeah. Bloomingdale's, Macy's. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a vertical that you try to stick within, or...? I think it it, uh, it ended up kind of being a focus, and you know how these things go, where you get a few and then and then more come, exactly, uh, and then more come after that, and then your portfolio looks like you only do whatever, and then and then it's hard to get not e-commerce work. Um, so that's kind of a little bit what happened. I think we we enjoy it, and there's definitely a bunch of like repeated problems that we're good at solving now. Yeah, but we don't limit ourselves to to them. Yes. One of the things that I'm wondering is, uh, as a software architect, do you have like a, do you work for a team or are you just for hire or uh, within? The- I do. It seems like it depends. Uh, one of the kind of nice things about like my last few years has been it. It's been kind of all of the above. There was a time when I was, uh, I think I actually had the, a title of software engineering manager or something where I was doing just a lot of management stuff. Uh, it was a 20 person team. My first time managing. A significant number of people and it was a lot of um, kind of more process organizational uh, more HRA type of stuff and then later on I realized that I still really wanted to be an engineer uh, and that that actually kind of mattered so I got my work became a lot more technical and then sometimes it, it goes between like really digging in and being an individual contributor for a few months to Uh, helping like like uh, more junior developers doing a bunch of mentoring to helping out with libraries trying and repeated code uh, like um, uh, code sharing of various kinds to working on process sometimes build systems like my my side job is build monkey over there as well so uh, you alluded that you came in the community by your own words late but yeah. uh, or recently but can you tell us a little bit more about your work in the iOS and Mac community I haven't, so it all kind of started out what, what brought me down this path in the first place. I was supposed to be, you know, a, a physicist. That was the uh, capital P plan. Uh, but it never it never worked out that way. A, a, uh, a Russian physicist, that never happened, right? Exactly, that never <laughs> happens. And, and you, you can imagine my family and, and, and what they uh, expected. Um, hi, Dad. But... Um, <laughs> But uh, what ended up happening was a bunch of sort of tumultuous uh, personal stuff and a very challenging junior year in, in college that once I recovered from all that kind of led me to rethink how much I actually cared about what it was that I was studying. Uh, and then coincidentally, I had some free time and coincidentally, I'd acquired this shiny new toy. Um, and what happened was uh, there was this thing that I'd been playing with for a while on the Linux side back when I was a Linux person called Fuse which let you write file systems. Oh, yeah, file system writing, in uh, user space, yes. In user space, that's right. Without writing uh, kernel, kernel modules. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world uh, because I, I used it a lot for doing CS work and I would like use my pretty Mac editors uh, to edit files on the CS, like Unix-like servers, and no one else could do that. And I just, you know, I like figured out how to run the command line to do this stuff, and it was super cool. And I thought, man, this would be really useful. Then I looked at it and I kind of fantasized about like, what if I could port this thing to the Mac in a way that isn't totally impossible for anyone without a beard to, to be able to actually like process. Uh, but then I saw that it was a kernel module and I realized that that was approximately 30 years outside of my experience. Um, coincidentally though, um, this guy Amit Sin at Google had uh, done the same thinking except probably a while before I did. And he actually had the skills and experience. So he actually ported this kernel module over. That's uh, Amit Singh of um, uh, Mac OS 10 Internals. That's right. The book that everybody has to uh, lift up their monitor. 
Indeed. I actually <laughs> interviewed uh, with him once, and it was just as terrifying as you would expect. Um, exactly, exactly. A very intimidating uh, genius. So, so I, I found this thing, and uh, it, we worked on the Mac, and I thought it was cool. So what I did was I uh, spent, I didn't sleep for like a week and wrote my first uh, Cocoa app, which was uh, called Mac Fusion. It's still up on GitHub somewhere, although not very well maintained at all. Um, that was just a wrapper, like a really simple, like just start up a task type of wrapper uh, around uh, this Fuse thing. Um, so I wrote it and I put it, uh, I sent it to the mailing list, I remember, where Fuse was being developed. And the first thing that happened was I got an immediate like 10 or so emails saying it doesn't launch. Uh, because I didn't turn off zero link or do some other really obvious thing that I should have known and didn't know. Um, so the first version didn't work, but then I fixed it and sent it to people. And I just started getting these emails being like, wow, this is really cool. And it was email after email after email of like people who are like, for example, web developers who didn't even know that this was even possible, like finding this tool, playing around with it and using it. And basically I was hooked. Hooked to... Uh having people comment on your work in publicly hooked to making software. Oh, there we go. Like it was this like perfect, like, I don't know. It's, it's probably obvious to the audience if they are engineers or designers, but this profound realization that, that the fiddling, like I've been fiddling with computers my entire life, but they, they'd really been things just for me. And I, it was just this profound realization that I could do that in a very similar way but in a way that actually affected the lives of other people. And I know that that sounds super cheesy, but I didn't get it. And those emails like just brought it home to me. And it was obvious from, from then on kind of what, what I think I wanted to do. No, that's, that's not, uh, that's not bad at all. Like it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's really powerful. Yeah. It's one of the, one of the, one of the many rewards of software development is that we can change lives. Yeah. Yeah. And th this was, you know, like a super nerdy, super stupid, little thing but the fact that like people actually emailed me out of their own free will and I, I remember I think the the next iteration I did was based on plugins so you would add support for other Fuse file systems and it was terribly designed like I had literally no idea what I was doing but uh, I was very proud when someone who was working on something similar wrote to me and said hey your thing is better because it's more extensible do you want to work together cool And then a designer appeared and made me an icon. And I was like, wow, like, I didn't even know it was possible to work with people on things like this without knowing them. Like, I, I had never heard, frankly, of open source at the time. And there it was. And it was really, really cool. So, so that was Mac Fusion. Yep. Any other projects since then? The rest of it has been, I mean, I think there's probably been libraries and bits and pieces that I, that ended up being open source that I worked on uh, at Race Labs uh, that have been kind of reusable bits of code. There was a, an assertion library uh, that I kicked off that just made it easier to do, you know, like the NSSR statements uh, that everyone writes, basically a, a, a way of doing those with macros for some common cases that made it more likely for people to use asserts uh, more effectively. There was a bunch of stuff like that, but... It's been largely, I think, in the context of my professional work. Um, and it's kind of been the reality with it. Uh, that's kind of been the reality for me, but I, I'm not honestly thrilled with that. Like, I would love to get my own mindset more in a place where I think more open source first and where I got a little bit more, ba more bandwidth, more free time to actually spend to, 
to get a project like MacFusion, but something new up and running again. Uh, but I just haven't had the chance. So when you're not banging your way on the keyboard trying to uh, fix uh, one of these file systems, uh, what do you do outside of uh, technology? Let's see. Uh, outside of development, um, I am kind of uh, maybe not among, among programmers or, or maybe not. I don't know. But I, my hobby is fooling around with IT stuff. So I have this whole big uh, server rack. Uh, in, in my basement, fooling around with virtual machines and IPv6 and all these other, like, interesting networking things. Oh, you have your own server rack. <laughs> well, not a huge one, but yes. Still. Yes. I run a media server for, you know, like, my family to connect to, to, to watch, you know, videos that we have and, like, you know, email services for people, that, that kind of thing. Uh, and I, I enjoy it because I think it it connects to the, uh, it, it kind of lets me feel like I'm being useful to, to family members and friends uh, through my skills, which is kind of nice. Beyond being the IT guy that when you visit, they have something wrong with my computer. <laughs> yeah, beyond just, yeah, updating their version of Windows and removing adware and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, so that's, like, I think if I had a hobby, it would probably be that, which sometimes it feels like way too close to my programming work, but it's different because... It's a lot easier to do kind of bit by bit, and it's a lot easier to see immediate results because it's not like a you know six month development cycle of a big piece of software. It's a little bit uh, quicker, um, and you get this nice positive feedback loop of like, "Hey, Dad, look what I set up. You can you know put your photos here now, or you can yeah. you know that kind of thing." And it's a it's a nice context switch from the the hard complex problems in software. Yeah, But yeah, you it's can a lot also... easier. Yeah, you can also have enough. Uh, you know, you can also have enough complex problems with IT. Yeah, yeah. I think actually, with regards to that, I'm probably a really terrible IT person. Uh, I have to remind myself and others sometimes that I am not a professional, which means you know my stuff isn't redundant and it'll go down and it'll like you know technically you could lose data and stuff because there are people who actually do this properly and then there's me. Um, but it's still it's still fun. Is it a bunch of Linux boxes or you got a whole bunch of different things? Um, I do, I think I have a, I have a Windows VM, I have some Mac virtual machines that run OS X server, I have quite a number of Linux boxes, I have BSD, um, there's a part of me still, like, the same part of me that, you know, started doing this at age 12 or something that still really likes to fiddle with things for my own purposes. So what you're saying is you don't have an actual heating bill, you just run your server. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much, the heat rises from the basement, uh, and, and really heats the whole house. <laughs> well thanks so much for joining us michael what's the best way for someone to get in touch with you let's see um probably twitter actually twitter dms uh or twitter messages are probably the easiest thing uh i'm at mgorbach uh, on twitter and um at on github as well awesome you can learn more about a conference by visiting our website at nsnot.ca tickets are still available Also, be sure to follow us for updates on Medium and Twitter at NSNorth. Thanks for listening. Please join us again next time to meet another great speaker. Dan, how can people get in touch with you? I'm best as on Twitter. I'm at underscore Dan Byers and also at Dan at NSNorth.ca. And Adrienne, how can people get in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at AdrienRM and via email at um, Adrian at NSNorth.ca. And I am at Philip C on Twitter, or you can email me at phil at nsnorth.ca. See you soon. Mm-hmm.